Welcome to Life Skills 101, Skills for a Digital Age, sponsored by the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network and True North Homeschool Academy. True North offers live online classes, clubs, ebooks, and more. From special needs to parent classes, True North builds a community through digital format in an age of loneliness and desolation. Our host, Lisa Nearing, is a homeschooler with five kids who was homeschooled with her husband, Dr. David Nearing, for 27 years. They are committed to equipping fellow homeschoolers and Christians with the tools they need to navigate a complex world in need of a savior. Now, without further ado, Lisa Nearing. Hey everybody, it's Lisa Nearing from True North Homeschool Academy, and I am here today with you for episode 61 on Life Skills 101, Life Skills for a Digital Age. We are doing a series on life skills, authentic values, and this episode is titled Recent History. And again, I'm joined by my husband, Dr. David Neary. Hey, David. Hey, babe. How are you doing today? Good to talk to you again. In the last episode, we defined synthetic and authentic values and talked about the difference between the two. Right. We also talked about how in the 1970s, the American values began to shift at a very basic level as outlined in the book Habits of the Heart. That shift began occurring in the 1970s, and that was the social condition that led to postmodernism and political correctness, which in turn set up society for the now what I consider socially predatory rhetoric of critical race theory and associated intersectionality language. This could be dicey because this is really a hot topic and and people are really polarized around it. Well, it is dicey. Uh, it is. Let's, let's just be clear. It is dicey. Yeah. It's controversial. Why? Because it's controversial. Mm-hmm. And, and we can't stay away from the controversy on that. We're seeing that controversy playing out in the election, in the streets, in discussions of Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. in, in, uh, in CDC guidelines, in all these sorts of things. Behind all of this is this conflict going on, this, mm-hmm. this controversy. And so as a, as a person who has done a lot of counseling and therapy, I'm going to make the covert over. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, we're going to take what's in the background and put it out on the table where we can all see it and understand it. And just before we dive into this, I want to talk really briefly about how this is important as we raise our kids intentionally. I'm really making the covert over. Not everything needs to be made over. <laughs> not everything needs to be over. Not everything That's needs right. to Clearly be done that not. way. There's, okay. There's things that stay between a husband and wife. Right, right. right. Things that stay. In the, in the, in the My background. daughter and I clean horse barns every other weekend. And she's like, What's, what happens in your stall stays in your stall. And That's that right. is like a good life That's thing. That's a great life lesson. That's right. <laughs> Unless what happens in the stall actually ends up all over your yard. So, right. right. Yeah. Okay. So now that we've said that. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, you know, after after the shift in the 70s, the period of the middle 80s and 90s were times when synthetic values really began to take over the media and academia and the corporate world with their emphasis on postmodernism and political correctness. Okay. Postmodernism, just for anybody who doesn't know at this point, functionally means that it, it doesn't accept truth claims. Okay. It doesn't say that we can make a statement about something that's basic truth. Okay. And that's a problem because in order to be able to have authentic values, you have to be able to talk about what in fact is true and truth. Okay. okay? So um, having taught logic, uh, formal logic, having suffered through formal yes. logic, um, <laughs> there is a thing called circular reasoning. And right. we want to be careful that we're not doing circular reasoning. However, there is such a thing as predicating your argument on basic axioms. Right. And so there are some truths that you start with that start as axiom that are axiomatic. For instance, 
um, are the language in this conversation is meaningful. Mm -hmm. That has to be an axiom. Right. Reason is valid. Mm -hmm. That's an axiom. You can't prove that because your proof entails using that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there are things that are what are called in some circles properly basic, you know, uh, formally axiomatic. And, and what we can make is our, our truth claims. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so truth claims are not circular reasoning, ergo, they don't get thrown out. Well, there are truth claims that are false, for instance. Oh, and yeah. so we use reasoning and proof and, and ways of, of sound reasoning and, and, and sound assessment of facts. You know, as it said, there's two sides to every argument, but only one side to facts. Mm -hmm. Okay. But facts by themselves, they might be stubborn things, but they're also meaningless things unless you string them together in meaning mm -hmm. and an understanding of what, in fact, is a valid and authentic understanding of life, the universe, and everything, in this case, actually people. Mm -hmm. Okay? So we want to be able to put together facts and understandings in ways that are functional and sane, and that requires making a recourse to authentic values and understanding. You know, postmodernism, it, it doesn't accept those truth claims. It's inconsistent in its application of reason as a means of finding truth. And it wants to see all values and truths as simply personal, subjective, and located in time and space, which many, many, I would even dare say most are, okay? Mm -hmm. But most are doesn't mean that all are, mm -hmm. okay? There are things that are universal. There are universal truths. And circumstance is really important to think about and consider, um, one of the things that bugs me most in historical conversations is how we take our time and place and apply it to then. So we want to be careful about circumstance as well. Well, right. That's what's called anachronistic thinking. There's anachronistic thinking, which is understanding true statements without a uh, view to their situation and time. That's different from understanding transcendent truths and understandings that are, in fact, Timeless and universal. Those are two different things. Uh, Postmodernism and political correctness will, tries to cast all truths in the form of time-bound and specific-bound and does not recognize timeless truths. Okay? So it's really more concrete thinking. Like it's just what's in front of your face is the only thing that might have existed. It often can can be an awful lot like that. But above and beyond that, it also privileges certain groups and people as beyond any kind of accountability and assigns any kind of protection from that accountability to groups based on assessment of their power or influence and based on the fact of whether people have hurt feelings or not. Mm -hmm. So subjective experience and subjective sense of powerlessness becomes more important than readily verifiable facts and situations in a certain context by which we can understand the dynamics of what's going on or what's even going on in a relationship in the here and the now. Because feelings and perceptions of victimization of power rule, all right? So victimization in a certain situation or a sense of being uh, powerless is what's more important than when you actually are powerless or not, whether you actually are responsible or not, because there's no basis by which we could actually have that conversation. So right now, during this time, people are shutting down arguments by just fiat, just arbitrarily, through deploying this politically correct language and then conferring to them in their minds on arbitrary moral standings based on, well, just nothing, based on what's fashionable at the time. So it's, it's the beginning of tyrannical language cloaked in victimization. So I feel bad. I don't like what you're saying. You know, my group doesn't like it. And therefore, you can't say that. 
And if people have that kind of attitude, then indeed you've lost the ability to have mutual, respectful, civil conversations at that point. Because what is important in those civil, respectful, mutual conversation is being able to have recourse to facts and logic and understandings and being aware of and considerate of emotions and feelings, but not allowing those rule. Being considerate of a sense of being powerless, but that doesn't determine what actually is. Let's just slow down for a minute. Just psychologically, what does it do to a person when they feel hurt? But then there's nothing wrong with with your feelings. There's no, let's just establish that. No, let's be clear. Having feelings is really important and they're really meaningful. They're really They're meaningful. really important and meaningful and vital to relationships. Mm-hmm. Because people without feelings, we all might know somebody who's kind of like express a lot of feelings, perhaps. that It's hard to know what's going on with them or where the relationship is at. Feelings are good. They inform us. They inform others. So where does the problem enter in? Well, the problem enters in in that when we talk about feelings in relationships, I'm if I'm concerned about your feelings, what I'm really concerned about, what's meaningful to you, mm-hmm. getting your understanding, your perspective, you know, kind of where your head is at, mm-hmm. okay? But the thing is, is that that's part of the process. So understanding and honoring and comprehending your feelings is very, very important. But it's but a it, process. But it's a process and it doesn't determine truth. Okay. Okay. That's that conversation we had in other uh, episodes, your truth. Well, Mm -hmm. if I'm understanding what's going on between your ears, then we're talking about your truth. And so your feelings and your sense of powerlessness or victimization is really vital to my understanding that. But feeling victimized does not entail a moral claim to some sort of debt that now I owe you. Okay. You know, it's morality and ethics are part of what's called the ethical economy. So when I listen to you and your emotions and get your understanding of of meaning, that's the beginning of a process. But the process does not end there. Now we have to put the shoe on the other foot where you understand my perceptions, my feelings, my take. And then after that, we we still haven't arrived at at our goal yet. Now we begin to negotiate mutual understanding based on a common frame of reference, a common sense of facts, of understandings, and of values, and of morals. Okay, when we have that commonality, we now can negotiate a relationship after we've understood those feelings, emotions, sense of powerless or victimization or what have you. Okay, mm-hmm. now we can negotiate an understanding based on something common that comes after that process of mutual back and forth reciprocal understanding. Okay, so I'm, it's almost laughable because what you just described is so stinking complicated. Let's let's be honest. Relationships are complicated. Right, precisely. <laughs> Again, relationships They're are just more, hard. <laughs> relationships are more complicated when a culture is breaking down. Why? Why Because culture is a common frame of reference that actually makes makes meaning and communication easier. Okay. Oh, okay. So give us an example. Well, an example of that, say, in in Scandinavian communities, the kind of the the up and down Mm -hmm. of the language, you know, how how people do the tonalities communicate something about a relationship that you don't find in, say, German communities. Mm -hmm. Okay. Eye language, you know, how eye contact is used is used differently. Say if you're in Eastern Europe or in Lakota groups mm-hmm. or Navajo or, or, or those groups, it, it, it communicates something different. Right. And so, you know, things having to do with feet are a big deal in the Middle East. They're not going to be a big deal if you're from Europe or America, right? Well, you've got shoes on. Yeah. Well, it, it, well shoes are a problem some places in the Middle East too. Right. And, and so the, the idea here is that the culture is a way, it's kind of a grease 
and oil for allowing us to understand one another. So how do things work if you run your car, your new car for a while, and put no oil in it for 10,000 miles? Not so good. No, no, it tends to burn up. Right. Okay, running an engine without oil results in bad outcomes. Mm-hmm. Well, cultures do that. They provide an oil and a grease, a lubrication mm-hmm. for understanding one another. And as those cultures break down, we lose that ability to comprehend. And that means now our conversations become much more laborious. Mm-hmm. And we begin to import things into them, like I have an emotion, and that's supposed to be some sort of moral debt. There's no moral claim to your emotions, okay? I listen and hear and validate and value your emotions, but we don't get to a moral claim yet. The moral claim is defined by the ethical economy, whereas we actually look at what rights and wrongs are done by a more objective value system. Mm -hmm. So I can't, I might say you might owe me after an ethical wrongdoing, but that's my perception. We actually have to sort that out. That's why you see in the justice system, there's those scales of justice. Mm -hmm. Okay. The scales of justice is the process by which claims are weighed. Okay. And as you weigh those claims, that's what determines an actual real ethical claim, not one simple feelings, but Claiming victim status as an ongoing moral state is a means of trying to actually bypass that process of assessing real ethical negotiation here, okay? Okay, It's kind of a form of extortion. And there is a difference between owing a moral debt and feeling compassion for people who have been wronged. Precisely, because feeling compassion is an expression of grace and mercy. Mm -hmm. Grace and mercy is not, technically speaking, simple justice. Simple justice is simply the right and the wrong as balanced in a relationship and negotiated by objective facts and principles. And so when we are trying to work through this process, understanding the other person is a necessary process of comprehending them, of showing grace and mercy in a way that's required to have relationships, Mm -hmm. okay? So I show grace and mercy by really trying to understand another person's heart. That's necessary, but strict justice is the strict right and wrong of the ethics involved in the situation. So when I try to listen, understand you, I'm actually going beyond what's technically required and going to what's the, what is actually at, at matters of the heart. And that's what's necessary to have deep human relationships. The technical justice, which we cannot compromise, but also the grace and mercy necessary to truly connect on the matter of hearts. And really what you're talking about is a common frame of reference, which is what culture brings us. So it makes sense that if we're from a different race or a different culture, we don't hold that common frame of reference. Precisely. It's going to be confusing to to communicate with each other, to understand each other, to know what the expectations are or what is offensive or what is expected because we don't hold those things in common. That's the whole fallacy of multiculturalism is that the American experiment was designed to create an American culture from all these different cultures, okay? And they are to be melted into one understanding that creates a strong American society, Mm -hmm. okay? So in that process, it does take work and effort to get beyond cultural misunderstandings as we work on that, 
But the thing is, is that what we're trying to get to is a transcendent American culture based on transcendent values that be, go beyond culture. But that is a process just like it is between two people, husband and wife, family members, friends. Okay, it, it takes effort and time. Listening, yes, but two-way listening. And then negotiating on shared values and principles that really must be authentic and genuine. And there must be a way of going beyond culture to get to that. Okay. People tend to go to this place of victimization where, you know, true victimization does require attention to just and ethical violations of principle that led to it and support of people seeking redress based on that ethical violation. Mm -hmm. But the victimization itself is not a virtue and should never be treated that way as if it confers moral weight in and of itself, especially in any kind of ongoing way. Mm -hmm. Okay. It is only the violation of morals and ethics that constitute victimization that confers the moral weight and does not rule out a counterclaim or view to its validity. So you can have something done, done you wrong, but I can have something where I feel done wrong and we have to weigh that out, okay? The morality comes in addressing the, the violation, not the status of being a victim. That irrespective of appearances, it's used to engage in actually violating other people. I can pretend that somehow life has done me wrong and then now say to you that you have to make up for that. Mm -hmm. And that's a form of manipulation designed to actually get your way without actually being morally accountable. Mm -hmm. And this is in no way justifying wrongs that, that do happen. Sometimes people cruelly treat each other. It's not a give and take. It's a done to. That is the basis of morality and, yeah. and ethi ethics is that people do wrong right. and people, people do, do wrong. all the time. And, and those cultures. need religious and cultures, cultures and communities and history. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, again, as, as my parents used to say, two wrongs don't make a right. You know, in the same way, I can do violating things by trying to address violations. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And that happens when, when I actually get rid of this idea that I still have a responsibility to establish, apart from my feelings and perceptions, that a wrong exists and that you have the right to counter with that with accountability. We're living at a time where we have this thing called critical theory out there, which is another synthetic theory of human relations focusing on power dynamics and how it relates with race, sex, culture, et cetera, based on values on relative power dynamics, who has power and who doesn't, et cetera, et cetera. So now people are entitled to not only claim victimhood, but assign a violator to whomever they want, arbitrary, and then abdicate all responsibility. You know, they're trying to assess uh, responsibility simply based on a arbitrary assessment on who has power and who has benefit. Anytime somebody tries to hold you accountable for a benefit, what they're doing is they're trying to hold you accountable for an effect. Accountability and responsibility is based on a choice, an action, a verb, not a consequence, an effect, or a benefit. And so benefits do not confer any moral weight or violation of any kind. It's only when someone does something wrong. So the problem is the critical theory is a kind of systematized predatory behavior. Now, the most accessible person I've seen on web is Neil Shenvey on his website, or Chantel Monique Dussan is, is also another very insightful writer and, and directly on target. I would recommend people go see those two writers because they drill into this in depth. Uh, Chantel Dussan actually came out of a critical theory understanding and is now trying to help people get past this kind of uh, synthetic value system and get back to a real Judeo-Christian value system. All right, so I would just simply say, 
that, again, these two writers help best with understanding critical theory. I refer you to them, uh, but I would, I would say that they will give you what you need there. It's just that that's one of these synthetic theories that expresses the very essence of tyranny and how it's being walked out in society. So there's a lot here, and let's talk about how this relates to raising our kids. Are these important things to talk about with our kids right now? Or is it kind of like if you don't talk to your kids about sex by the time they're seven, they're going to hear it from their neighbors? Is this those same kind of conversations? Because this is a lot of, this gets into a lot of heavy history and a lot of heavy emotion and a lot of uh, confusion going on in the world right now. What and how do we talk to our kids about this? Well, it's it's important to talk about the idea that any time that someone ex, you know asserts a moral or ethical right without disclosing the basis for it, when they try to use shame and humiliation based on who you are or your background or an outcome or a benefit or whatever, it invalidates the person. And actually, kids and young people are getting this all the time. This is the, the universities are shot through with it right now. And that's the reason why you have a lot of students going to universities coming out and just saying nonsense because they're being manipulated by this. So all this work that you're doing as a parent to help your, your children understand authentic values is being corroded based on the idea that folks are saying to those kids through social networking, social media, and a lot of these other outlets that there is something wrong with them based on their background, you know, and that's a violation of the fifth commandment, honoring your parents and the 10th commandment, which is, you know, coveting others and also on, on giving false testimony. But to help your kids, you have to instill them a very clear idea and pride in who they are, a self-concept based on the fact that they are raised in family that values authentic moral values authentic, uh, uh, genuine understandings of being human that are based on, on understandings of people that have existed for thousands of years and still apply, and that they can actually address that. And for them to see anytime somebody tries to actually degrade them or demean them or say they don't have a valid opinion just based on some arbitrary measure, immediately they understand that they're being manipulated right then and there that they understand that they are being manipulated and demeaned. And so they can now have tools for recognizing that, okay, this conversation's a problem. This person is manipulating me. I'm going to back away from this conversation because I understand this isn't a real conversation anyway. Okay. When people rely on, on slander and innuendo and patronage while taking the sort of the semblance of morality, what they're actually doing is engaging in a con job. And that that will undercut everything that you're trying to do with your kids if they're subject to that kind of manipulation, okay? It's the language of bullies and tyrants. So <laughs> are you saying don't send your kid to college? Maybe. I don't know. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying they need to go equipped and then make some decisions about if a particular college is going to use true critical thinking. Okay, critical thinking, which is thinking through uh, carefully the basis for arguments and reason, et cetera, without just using slander and innuendo to try to, to demean people. Okay, if they're going to use bullying tactics, then why do any of us pay them any money at all? Okay, the leaders of these movements are Marxists and, you know, according to people like Carolyn Glick, you know, they have elements of uh, jihadi Islam involved in them. And, and so the folks who are involved in the leadership of these groups really don't care about the values of, of people who are trying to live with authentic understandings and values. They really don't care. 
So really, really what you're saying is be really careful about how and where you launch your kids. I'm saying... Because if they're going to go to an academy where there's this underlying um, ideology of synthetic values, that it's most probable that your kid's value system coming from a Judeo-Christian value system that um, cares for family, values the Ten Commandments, believes in life before and after birth, these kind of of values that are intrinsic to the Judeo-Christian life are going to be very undermined. Well, it's two things. It's not just the values themselves, okay? It's the personhood of your young person. Their personhood will get subverted because of the putative reasonableness and ethicalness and victimhood that's being spewed at them. And the thing is, is what that causes them is to doubt their very core selves. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they can't really put their finger on what is so manipulative about this. Okay. And again, I mean, we talked about this last time. C.S. Lewis, That Hideous Strength, he really nails it in that book. It's a great book to read with your upper high school level students and really talk about, get into what they're talking about in this book. Well, and where it can be seen in society. Yeah. What social networks you can see this in, what media outlets, what theorists that are saying this, and just how they behave. Mm -hmm. You know, just noticing how in a lot of these conversations, the the claim is that there's going to be a conversation, and then when a real conversation begins to happen, yeah, that gets shut down. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've seen it time and time again over the last 25 years in my life that when we really dr- start drilling into these issues, the other person actually begins to walk away, not because the conversation is going so badly, but because when we really start putting our finger on a presupposition or an assumption or an innuendo or a slander or a demeaning comment or a twisting a a definition or something like that, yeah, they don't like that. So what are the resources would you suggest to really equip young adults? History. Timelines, people, timelines. <laughs> Absolutely. Having real history with and, and paying attention to revisionist history. Revisionist okay? history. Right. You know, uh, a really great resource right now is the 1620 Project by the Federalist. And it's interesting that both Orthodox Jews and Christians are getting on board with mm. the 1620 Project. Okay? okay. We'll put that in the show notes. <clears throat> Susan Weisbauer. I can't recommend her highly enough. Sure, absolutely. Um, start with the story of the world and go on to the history of the world. Right. Understanding basic logic, but also this is this is beyond logic. This is mm-hmm. beginning to understand how people manipulate by making appeals to emotion, which need to be heard and validated. Teaching your kids how to utilize emotions and utilize emotion language and teaching them emotional skills but then that's different from negotiation skills, mm-hmm. okay? That emotional language and emotional uh, maturity is different from negotiating actual understandings and agreements. Mm-hmm. And then finally, ethics and teaching them the, the importance of ethics. You know, lying is a big deal. Deceit is a big deal. I would say, really, I talk about this all the time on Facebook Lives and in our membership site, is biblical literacy is really on the downside in America in the church. And I would say reading the Bible with your kids, if you want to really talk about morality and ethics, there's no better way to tackle some of these subjects to start in the old Testament. Even it is rife with discussions on ethics. Well, yeah, it clearly is because it's talking about authentic values. Mm -hmm. It's talking about a genuineness to the value system and what happens when you don't. Mm -hmm. But what I would also suggest is that, you know, read it on screen, but also read it on paper. Yeah. Okay. You know, read it as a book. 
because you have different brain processes going on and all that. And having a mixture of of digital resources and actual physical resources is important and teaching the, the kids the difference between the two, mm-hmm. okay? There's always a certain amount of distortion in digital media, always, mm-hmm. okay? Digital equals a certain degree of distortion. It's just it's in, yeah. innate. And so understand that that's different than a book. So having books and, and teaching people to value books in addition to resource on screen is, is an important distinction. Mm-hmm. Okay. So just some resources, uh, things to think about as you're putting together your your homeschool, really, how to train your kids for this world. Because we used to live in a Christian culture in America. Correct. Um, if you read Hillier's Story of the World, um, he wrote it like 1920. He wasn't a Christian when he wrote it, but it was a history of a Christian culture. And that's one of the reasons I love reading that book is because it shows a Christian culture written from someone who is not a Christian. Where now that's kind of flipped a little bit. Well, read most of the founding documents. Yeah. <laughs> founding yeah. documents actually make reference to that. I mean, that's kind of the the point is that that the founding documents reflect this authentic value system that they called natural law. Mm-hmm. That was the basis to all society and let it yet it allowed religious freedom because again the natural law was metaphysical. Right. And so, you know, having religious freedom in a country based on natural law you know, allowed the culture to be generally Christian, but without it forcing it down anybody's throat. It was really a very special, wonderful thing that God ordained on planet Earth, you know, in in America. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now we've identified the problem. So just a one to two sentence recap. The problem is, is that American society has, has drifted away from its natural law understandings of the society, of the republic, of people, and so we've lost the common frame of reference in which we can have real conversations with one another about what is right and good and proper. And that's applying to all levels of society, really all levels of society now. Mm-hmm. And so for for us to be able to keep our heads in all this, it's important that we really focus on the the authentic values of natural law and apply them first in our own heads and then our relationships with others. And incidentally, this is the basis to Christian faith and practice as well. You cannot have Christianity apart from this understanding. I mean, it's it's basic. Yeah. Okay, so what's the solution? Um, we hope you'll join us next week to talk about that. Um, this is Lisa Nearing with True North Homeschool Academy. We know that you have friends who are homeschooling in ministry, leading and working towards the redemption of others. And we would love it if you shared this podcast with them. And we'd also love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your comments, questions, and responses to this podcast. If you're not on our emailing list at True North Homeschool Academy, I'll leave it in the show notes. We'd love for you to be part of our community and um, come join us over at the Facebook group at True North Homeschool Tribe. We'll talk to you next week. We're so honored that you're listening and that you share this podcast, Life Skills 101, with your friends and family. Every time you share the show and post about it, it really makes our day. Make sure you subscribe and download this podcast so that you never miss an episode. You can subscribe so that you get alerted to each and every show. Leave a review for this podcast, Life Skills 101, Life Skills for Digital Age. We're so honored that you're listening. Until next time, this is Lisa Nearing from True North Homeschool Academy. We'll talk to you soon.